to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We will be in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you want to open your device or um, turn in your Bible, we'll also have some of the scriptures up on the screen as much as possible. I wanted to kind of mention a couple of things as we're getting into this today. Um, first of all, um, for a lot of church plants, um, they, they um, do big, huge celebrations when it comes upon their first birthday or second birthday or third birthday. And so actually October of 2017 is when we had launched out, but it was October of 2018 when we first started doing weekly um, Sunday gatherings. So um, for um, some people, that's just a huge deal. Um, probably even the last two Octobers, I, I probably didn't even mention it. So you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And so so if you're new, um, we've just meeting been meeting for three years um, as a public gathering. And so so um, this is kind of a, a happy birthday. So Sojourn people, it's happy birthday. Um, and I, you can tell like, uh, my mindset is more um, church planting. There's, there's a, probably over 60% that at this point they cease to exist. So I, I'm more on just this. So that I'm not the super encouraging type and just celebrating that. And we're not having bubbles and balloons and ribbon cutting. I'm just like, let's keep our head down. Let's be faithful to Christ and just let him do his work. Let's be faithful to Christ. Keep our head down. Make disciples. And so... Um, in some ways, the last four years feels like 10 years. So all the books say that. Um, I used to have brown hair on the sides here. It has just quickly uh, turned gray. Um, and then there's a guy at Harbor Network, Dave Owens, who's like our executive director. His whole hair is white, and he's like 38. And so for the last 10 years of so, uh, Harbor Network, uh, when we switched over the name, um, he, he's, his, he's more gray than I am. But at the same time, the, the last four years may seem like two years just because... Um, um, COVID, the whole year of COVID, but now all of us are kind of seeing the ripple effects kind of flowing out of that from the cost of bacon to the cost of wood for your house to um, people around your life to the, to the government to the political landscape to all the things that, that happened in 2020 and it's just kind of slowly carrying on in 2021. And so it seems like, man, the last um, three or four years could, could also be just like, man, two of these years have been very, very difficult. Um, as we were at the Harbor Network Leaders Summit this week, just looking around going, man, there were guys that were at the eight and nine and 10 year mark and their church had to close down because they were in an area where they lost five or six people in a congregation of 40. And the people said, we're, we're, we just can't gather. And they literally just couldn't do that and up in the Northwest, in the West Coast, in the Northeast, in New York. Uh, one guy, he looked like that, he just looked like every day he wakes up and somebody takes him out to an alley and just starts hitting him in the face or the stomach. And so we were like, I was just looking, I was like, man, did, did you like walk here? And, and so then coming at one of our roundtables, it came out that, no, they launched in January of 2020. And so, like, he's raised all this support money and, like, secured this place to meet and spent all this time, left his job, left insurance, their family moved to this area, and then COVID hit. And so I was like, man, I'm just glad to see you're here, you know, and this is however many months later, right? And so, in some ways, um, it, it's, it's been very impactful. Um, and even though COVID didn't necessarily impact Oklahoma like some other states, or maybe it didn't impact you like it did others around the country um, um, who, who were halted from meeting together for maybe eight months or, or 12 months or 16 months, it did impact so many of our lives on so many different levels, um, no matter what that is. And almost two years later, we're still finding new surfacing effects from that. So um, I would just say to you as a people, um, it, it affected. Um, it affected even just even our emotional state, our mental state. Um, many of you, some of us, are like, "Hey, we get to work from home now." Well, that's good. And then, like you know, nine months later, twelve months later, it's like, "I think I'm a little depressed and lonely. Like this is weird. I really don't want to go back to the office, but at the same time, this is having effects on me." 
And so just thinking through that, if, if the medical field, they were kind of the front lines of all of this. So if a lot of people here that work in the medical field, it affected like an immediate thing financially. And just like, what is this going to look like sustaining through this? And hey, by the way, I don't get to choose to opt out and stay away from people. I'm actually caring for the ones that are dealing with this and are, and are very, very sick every day, facing lots and lots of patients. That takes a toll on you, losing patients. A family that you told, hey, I think you'll be able to get out of the hospital on Thursday, and on Tuesday, they take a turn, and the family's looking at you like, what happened? He died. Man, this is just a beast of a situation. And so if you, if you did get to isolate out of that and just be like, you know, hey, I'm just going to read blogs and watch the news and make my choices, that wasn't the way that everyone else got to deal with it. So it's affected us on, on all kinds of levels. Coming out of this, what would that look like for the church? Many people, so big churches, big box churches even, they would say they're at like 30 and 40% of people coming back. So some of those people were just never believers. They were just doing the checkmark thing, right? And so it'll be interesting seeing what, what kind of, what's written 10 years later, 15 years later. But for us, we still have the opportunity. What does faithfulness look like? Faithfulness to Christ and his gospel. Faithfulness to our, our own family. So if you're a single person, man, faithful to Christ. If you're, if you're married, faithful to that wife, faithful to that husband, faithful to those children. And then faithful to the local body in a third area. And then a bigger circle of faithful to wherever God has you on mission. That could be your neighborhood. That could be your workplace, the places that we live and work and play, those families around you. So um, excited Yes, happy birthday, Sojourn. At the same time, there's much work to do and kind of a more disheveled people, people who don't really know who they can trust, people who don't know um, who they can look to. And so we can be a people of gentleness with a humble posture and coming just to say, we just want to show you that this is the love of Christ. And so um, we have that opportunity. So that's the first thing, just happy birthday. Uh, there will be no cake after the service. Um, the second thing is, this, this, like I said this week, was Harbor Network, that we're part of a church planting network. They have um, this leadership summit every October. You guys are invited to go next year. Anyone who wants to go, usually we've taken several people. There's a lot of people in here that have went to one or two of those with us. So it's about two or three days. And so uh, me and Jamie and then and Jason was able to go. Um, a- Angel would have went, but their, uh, their kids had some tests and stuff going on, and so um, she wasn't able to get away with it, and plus she had just had the surgery, so um, they were not able to go as a couple, and we were um, encouraged to uh, just to, to go and be a part of it and to be reminded. Um, so uh, Harbor Network, uh, started out Sojourn Network, um, has always been about the renewal of all things through the gospel. Now, that sounds really good. It makes people nervous when you go, so then let, let's go over to 61st and Peoria and start helping the poor. Oh, whoa, whoa, I didn't know we were going to become all social injustice, and it sounds like you're ready to drop the gospel. No, the gospel drove us to go and help those people. And so just because of this landscape, this theological landscape we're in, you mention a person's name, a well-known pastor, or a book, or a good work, and all of a sudden you're being judged as if you're, you're, you're in a dangerous area. I would love to write a lot about this. I probably will. I've already got a lot of thoughts. I'd love to release those out to, to Christianity, to evangelicalism about this current theological dilemma we're in about being so quick, quick to criticize, so quick to judge, and, and the most unloving thing in the world that we could be. And so we at, at Harbor Network, it was so good just seeing the renewal. Um, so good to see for the 10 years I've been around these guys, um, um, their consistent emphasis on Christ and Christ alone. J.D. Greer and, and Ed Stetzer, a couple years ago, they just said, hey, so there, I could name three church planting whole movements, not church plants, not a single church, whole movements, Calvary Chapel, I can't even remember the other two, that they had 2,400 churches. One of them had 3,000 churches in, in their church planting network. They're not even here anymore because they dropped the gospel. So every single year we go and they're like, do not drop the gospel. Remember four years ago when everything looked hipster? 
Remember from the clothes, the jeans, like thankful, oh, I'm so thankful that everyone's kind of getting out of, like even women are wearing bigger, bag, baggier clothes and like it doesn't have to be like super tight because it just wasn't going to work for me. And so everything was hipster. And I remember even the church crowds were like, so it's got to look like that, huh? So I'm 56 and, I, and I'm 64 and I've got to wear that and look like that and, and like all that. When I grow a beard out, I look like a homeless person that has the mange. So it didn't work for me. And so um, I was always angry about that. And uh, so the hipster thing was hitting in church planting and churches. And so thankfully now that, that, that little phase has gone out. I, I hope quickly the disheveled hair thing that all of our kids are doing, maybe that'll pass also and we'll get back to haircuts. And so as, as I looked at that and seeing, man, what, what is it? And, and, and Ed Setcher was very clear. Hey, don't think that because you've got a cool wood paneling behind you and you've got a cool slick jeans and you've got a cool beard that, that the gospel is powerful in your life. It is only the gospel. It doesn't matter what the background looks like. This church planting network will cease to exist if you drop the gospel of Jesus Christ. So like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, hey, I didn't come to you in eloquence of speech. I didn't come to you all these schemes and all these strategies. I come to you with Christ crucified. So when you drive down this street that I drive down six days a week, and you see them, there's one thing. They don't need a cooler building. They don't, it doesn't matter what the worship background looks like. They need the, Christ, they need the cross of Christ that will change. And, and then we can talk about mental illness. And then we can talk about poverty. And then we can talk about those things. And so we can still give them bread and food and clothes. And we can still talk to extreme elites, the richest of the rich, half a mile over and going, we want that guy sitting on the pew with a guy who doesn't yet have an apartment. But at least he stopped doing drugs. At least he's found Christ. We want those guys sitting in the same small group because that's what the gospel does. That's the power of the gospel. That's what we want to be. So Harbor Network churches have that aim. We're a little gritty. Um, that's probably why we're drawn that way. And so, so great to see every time from the songs and the liturgy, from the main speakers and the teaching times to the breakout sessions, no strategy on metrics, um, no trending social media steps to get your church noticed, no secrets to boom your church to 2,000, um, no let's go kill it and multiply and multiply and grow and grow in numbers, um, no who's the next celebrity pastor. In fact, they do this thing where it's like, hey, if this guy's kind of booming in an area, like he's not getting the stage. Not, not, not because of that, because we don't want to start following a person. Because our older brother, um, the, the, the Acts 29 Network, some, was a little bit celebrity-driven. And we're going, we don't, we don't need celebrities. We need the gospel for all of us. And so, um, so great to see that the, the, the point is, how's your soul with Jesus Christ, pastors and pastor's wives? Because if you're missing that, what's your church going to be getting? What are you going to be giving them? If you get out of focus then what's your pastoral team going to be like? It's going to trickle down if you get out of focus. So where's your soul with Jesus Christ? Is Jesus still enough for you and for your people? And don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with intentional strategies, nothing wrong with social media, a front door um, for people to know you exist and then what your mission is, nothing wrong with growth in numbers. We want to see people brought into the kingdom and baptized and discipled, but those are the overflow. Those come from faithfulness. And so we want to be a faithful gospel witness. They have their place, but Christ, his word, being spirit-led, that is essential. That is central. Harbor's emphasis is, are you still seeing Jesus and his gospel, the focal point for your own soul, an ongoing spiritual renewal? Is that what you're pushing to your people? So I just want to tell you that it's been so encouraging to see every single thing that you go to there is not, hey, here, here's a, 10 quick tips to grow your church from 100 to 1,000. Five ways to write that book to become a, a bestseller on the New York Times list. That's not what they're doing. And so I'm just so thankful to see their continued faithfulness, and that's God's grace. Um, and we would break from them if they ever get away from that. Um, so um, I wanted to let you know that's been a very big encouragement as, as we got away. And they do those two, two times a year um, for us to get away and just got, get some renewal.
And so it was great to see. So um, that's enough on those two updates. As we go into um, today's sermon, um, I wanted you to see, first of all, just to help us, a little bit of some guiding key thoughts, the things that we're going to see in this little section. I'm dividing up um, 7 through 18, those verses, into two different sermons because uh, there, there's some great stuff that I, I could not skip over today. And so uh, we'll, we'll get to those in a second. So the fading glory of the Old Covenant that was never able to save. And so we're going to see that first. The, the fading glory of the old covenant that was never meant to and was never going to be able to save. And then the fading glory that was coming to an end, Paul says. It, it was coming to an end for surpassing greater glory in Christ. We're going to see that the reason that was coming to an end, the old covenant, the law, was because there was something of greater glory, surpassing glory in Christ. And then also, the last thing is, and this is where I kind of had to pause and go, you know, we could just go through this and finish up in verses 17 and 18, but I, I think just to educate our body, get us all on the same page um, about this mystery, this great mystery, Gentiles grafted into the new covenant. And so many people just have not had a lot of teaching on that. It gets into some deep, 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 deep stuff. So try to focus, pay attention when we get to that section. Don't, don't be fearful. Some people are like, oh my gosh, I don't know what this means. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. And so it's some beautiful stuff. You're, you're not going to walk out understanding it all. It's some beautiful depths uh, from the very heart of God, but it's also something, take some time. Don't just walk out and go, I, I don't like my Bible now. Or I don't like this view. Take some time. Just pray. Hey, meet with someone. Ask some questions. So we're going to be looking at that. Um, let's read um, 2 Corinthians 3. And I'm just going to read 7 through 18. We're only going to cover through 14 today. But let's read. I want to, I want to keep the end of this, this beholding, gazing at Christ in the picture here. So it says in verse 7, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, Father, we pray that you would honor your word, that the Spirit would come, open our eyes to see beautiful depths as we go into some of the, the deep, deep parts of Scripture that are just a self-revelation from you about what you're doing in our place, what you've done for us, what the Trinity was thinking of on these matters. Would you allow us to see the beauty here that would then be um, the, the very gospel itself that, that prompts us as a catalyst to go and carry that gospel to those around us who are lost. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, first of all, just uh, let me do some real quick hits on what we covered last week. This is a, just a, a quick recap on some of the things of the Old Covenant. And there's people that have these questions. So, first of all, just in Exodus 31, this was the giving of the Old Testament law, um, the Old Covenant. Um, so, it was uh, Exodus 31. There's lots and lots of places there. But he gave, Mo gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So some beautiful things there. You know, Moses went down. They were already making idols, had an idol factory going on. Moses throws them down, which I would have been scared, and has to you know, go up and redo it, right? So those are referred to. When you talk about the law, uh, it, there's different places in the word that it's referred to. It looks like our slides messed up. That's not because of uh, uh, Kyle. It's it just sometimes it transfers over different. But the Ten Commandments, the Torah, 
the law, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, all of those are referring to the old covenant. Now, so you got some, some who believe just the Torah, the first five books um, of the, the books, books of the Old Testament. They would say that's only the law, the other parts. Then we, we know, know all of the Old Testament. So it is those first five books. It's also the Ten Commandments, but it's also all of the prophets, all of the Psalms, all the Proverbs, all the Old Testament is part of the law of God. And so um, the, the law was broken down to three categories, the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial. So the ceremonial is when you read in Deuteronomy and Leviticus about those feasts that they would go to. And like on the 30th day of the month, we have to drive into uh, Jerusalem and do this thing and take all these animals and our family loads up. So those ceremonial type things, the different feasts they would have during the year. The moral is just clearly those things like, hey, be nice to people. Like, don't kill people. Okay, that's bad. Killing people is a negative. Let, let's stay more positive, right? So just the moral, just like, let's be nice to people. Um, also, the civil is how you're interacting with people, um, interacting with the people around you. And the moral can go to those inner depth of heart issues. And so now what's being revealed there is that this was given to Israel as a nation-state government. This was not given to the church. So huge confusion, particularly in a city like Tulsa, when there's a lot of people who are teaching sometimes that we still have to go by all the rules and laws of the old covenant. You may have had that question like, hey, which ones of the old covenant do we stick to? And then which ones are we not under anymore? So hopefully that'll be answered for you today. But so just understand that this was a nation state out of all the different countries and nations, socio-political governments, um, there was Israel. God gave them his law and said, be my people. We're going to have this covenant together and in it will come blessings and curses. If you break the laws of the covenant, then you, there's going to be curses. If you keep the law, there's going to be blessings. Other nations didn't get that. So, so that was a socio-political government with God as their ruler. United States, God is not our ruler. I don't care what your dollar bill says. God is not our ruler. We, we didn't all say we're going to have Democrats and Republicans with God as our ruler. There were some people in those original crowds. There's huge confusion in our day. They're like, we just need to return to the way we were, we were all Christians at the beginning. That was not the case at all. Some of the very founding fathers were deists, um, and, and, they, and some were atheists. Some were Christian believers, some. So you had some that were participating, but that was not all. Don't, don't think of it as like we were 100% Christian and founded on that. It was not just Christianity. It was founded on freedom of religion. You can live in this country and be a Hindu without persecution. You can live in this country and be a Muslim without persecution. You can live in this country, and I don't want that to change. Uh, so um, if, if you've studied Constantine, you don't want it to be a forced thing from the government where now everyone's forced to be a Christian because that's not truth. And we'll see this about the true Israel. So I want freedom of religion. I, I just want, hey, just don't tell me that my kids can't pray in school. Just don't tell me that we can't still honor the Ten Commandments or, or, or the, the laws of Christ that we believe are in our hearts. Just don't tell me that we can't do those things. In the same way, the Hindus should be able to do what they want to do. The, the Buddhists, so freedom of religion is a grace of God. You may have kind of been maybe politically or maybe your church swayed you to believe that we are Old Testament Israel and God is our ruler. No, that, that's, that's the church. And the church is a small fragment of the, the greater lostness of America. So, so we have a hard time with that. Some people don't even like to hear that. So um, just remember, that was that setup. So I want to, uh, everyone to be clear on that. Also, I want to be clear that everyone understands that everyone in the Old Testament, if they were believers, and by the way, all the other tribes, the Perizzites and Ammonites and all those ites, I don't know if there were believers in those they would be called God-fearers. There may have been some. It was a small, 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 small number. Why? Because God gave his law and his understanding of a need for forgiveness to one people, Israel. In that group of people, not all of them, Maybe a smaller number of them, a minority of Jewish people, a minority of the Hebrew people, the lineage of Abraham, maybe a small minority were what we would call true Israel. And what that means is they feared God and saw God's grace and honored God. And so when they did their ceremonial laws 
and they did their feast. They did it out of worship to God. They didn't understand that Jesus was coming. They didn't understand the second person of the Trinity. They didn't understand the second person of the Trinity was going to lower and humble himself and come as a human and then die in their place. So their understanding, the ones who were God-fears, they went through those steps and ceremonies. God, may all of this honor you. God, we do all this because you're a great and merciful God. God, your steadfast love is beautiful. You forgive our sins, God. So we give this sacrifice up on this thing because of our love for you and because you've been a steadfast God, a steadfast loving God who forgives our sin. We are such a sinful people. We know that, God, but we love you. We do these things because of our honor for you. That's some of the crowd. Some of the crowd, oh, is that this weekend? Oh, we, we barely have five lambs. We don't have a lamb to give. Oh, I do not want to go all the way to Jerusalem. Oh, this is ridiculous. Let's drag this thing up here. Do you, do you see the heart issue? That may be your family going to church on Sunday sometimes. And so, like, do you see the difference between someone going through the rituals but not loving God? They're not doing it out of a love for God, right? We know people like that. And so they probably weren't God-fears. They weren't saved. They thought they were going to just go to heaven based on being in Abraham's lineage. So um, all Old Testament believers, they were saved by Jesus on the cross 3,000 years later, 4,000 years later, 2,000 years later, if they were saved. So they were looking at that very, very murky water, very, very blurry. Are, are you grateful for the grace that's been given you? Are you grateful for the clarity Man, I'm a person that would have need, needed clarity on that. And so I'm thankful that God had us in this time period. So as people went through that, I wanted to, just to make sure everyone understands that no sacrifices, none of the ceremonial laws, no, none of the moral laws, none of the um, laws that we see in Deuteronomy or Leviticus or Numbers were going to ever save anyone, no matter how well you kept that. And we could spend lots of time on that. Um, here, here's an explanation of differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Um, so in the Old Covenant, they had a Jewish lineage. They were um, just the, the offspring of Abraham physically, right? They were Jewish. They were Hebrew. And they had earthly promises. Um, then the New Covenant people they have a shared faith of Abraham with heavenly promises. We have this shared faith with Abraham, so we are grafted in as we're going to see today. Um, then also, um, the people of the old covenant, they had Moses as their mediator, but it was still based on human works from Adam. If you remember last week, we talked about the covenant of works that, that, that all of us fall under because of the sin of Adam, and we needed a covenant of grace to come and take over that. The people of the new covenant, on the other hand, we have a covenant of grace with Christ as our one final mediator based on his completed works. And then also in the Old Covenant, the sign of the Old Covenant, we all know, was the circumcision of the flesh. And the ongoing sign of that, so you were circumcised as a male, right? And then the ongoing sign was keep all these laws. Keep all these laws. Keep all the rituals. So New, New Testament. So if you're one of those people who have family around you, friends, and you're going like, hey, why do we not have to keep those anymore? Because the New Covenant. What, what, what's, the, what's the initial sign? It's regeneration, circumcision of the heart. Well, we looked at Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, the new covenant where the Spirit comes in. Jesus explained it as life from above. Remember to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? So, hey, Nicodemus, you know all the law. You're supposed to be a teacher of the law, and yet you don't even understand. You must be born again. Well, are you saying I must be going go back into my mother's womb? That doesn't make sense. No, born of the Spirit, born from the Spirit, life from above. And so that's what it's talking about there, regeneration. It's a circumcision of the heart. The outward sign and the initial sign is baptism. What's the ongoing thing that we would do? We participate in the Lord's Supper. So that's why we do that every week. We want to participate in that. Um, the next thing is I just want to show you guys uh, just a reminder of Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. Um, so this is Jeremiah 31 when God was declaring to Israel and Judah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. So you see, from being this external observance of commands to something internalized. It's written on our hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. 
Um, so you see this in the very last part there. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So a very, very focal point of the new covenant is going to be about the forgiveness of sins. What did Jesus come to seek and save that which was lost? Very pointed. So we see that. And then Ezekiel 36, um, one of my favorite sections. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Hey, what, what have you done to do that? What, what part have you had? What, what's your role in that? If we're not careful, man, we like to believe the first part of it, and then we get busy pulling those bootstraps up. we got to go to work. we got to do the work of sanctification. we got to do that. And God's saying, no, that, that was me. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, small s, talking about your soul, your spirit, I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone, because we're going to be talking about hardness later on, the hardness that the Jews received. So we all, under Adam's curse, there's a hardness of our hearts. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a soft heart, a heart of flesh, a new heart. And I will put my capital S, spirit, within you, and cause you, enable you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So we see there, this is the spiritual offspring. God was saying, I'm going to do this new work, Israel. But here's the kicker. It's not only for people with a Jewish or Hebrew ethnicity. This is going to be the true Israel. And that was confusing, even in the New Testament church. Remember all the times when Peter and Paul and those guys were, were talking about, like, well, hey, are these Gentiles just getting in? Do they need to be circumcised? No. No, it's, it's new life. They're repenting and believing in what Jesus did on the cross. Forgiveness of sins. He's their Savior. That, that's the new story. So that we're not having to go by the works of the law anymore. So all of us are brought in as the new Israel. Um, so that was God's picture of the new covenant. Now we have a picture of what work God is doing. So now we can see that uh, the contrast and how this is um, c compared to the fading old covenant. So let's look there in verse 7 there. where he, in, First of all, just seeing the fading glory that could not save. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end. So we see this clarity that the old covenant was being brought to an end. Again, if you have family members, friends, the old covenant, it was brought to an end. Um, contrasting this old covenant and new covenant, he, he even refers to it as the ministry of death. Look there in verse 7. In verse 9, the ministry of condemnation. Like, is that okay for Paul to refer to God's law and God's old covenant as the ministry of death. It's almost like taking a you know, Chris Rock a joke at, at God's law. Like, oh, I don't know if you may get struck with lightning here. So, no, it's okay because that's actually what it was. It was a ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation. The law come to condemn us in our sin, to reveal to us you have broken God's holy standard. Um, he, he says, but it's contrasted with the ministry of the Spirit. Look in verse 8 there. The ministry of righteousness. So Paul has those terms, ministry of death and ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of the Spirit, which we just saw in Ezekiel 36. We just saw in Jeremiah 31. And the ministry of righteousness. So um, in Romans 7, 11 through 13, it says, it's not the law that was flaws. It was sin inside us, inside our hearts. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. So Paul's accurate in saying this is a, a ministry of condemnation. Um, the old covenant was never going to save souls or provide forgiveness. They were a shadow of what would come. Even though it was not going to be ultimate, it was still glorified. It was glorified. Paul also lets us know there was something with more glory that surpasses it. Um, look at verses in Romans chapter 7 on this idea of how the letter kills. What does it mean that the old covenant was coming to an end, but also it brought death to us? So this may help you if you have questions about this. What does it mean that the old covenant, we don't have to go by it, and that it's bringing death to us? 
in Romans 7, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused from or aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But look at this, but now we are released from the law. You got family members? Do we still have to go by these things or the things in the Old Testament? We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Number one, you're released from the law. Number two, um, you are, you've died to that which held you captive. So we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So from the old covenant, not freedom to go break the law now. So it's not what it's saying. It's not saying now you just get to go break all the laws of the old covenant. I can go kill, commit adultery, do all these things. No, no, that's not it at all. But freedom to a greater covenant. Freedom to, li- freedom to live in the righteousness of Christ. And people don't understand that. So then he says this, and um, he says, sin is seizing an opportunity through the commandment. So if, if remember like little kids, and you're telling them, don't touch the stove? Did they know beforehand that the stove was going to hurt them? No. So then you're telling them a law to do something, a commandment, don't touch the stove, it will hurt you. All of a sudden, that stove sure looks fun, doesn't it? Hey, don't touch. I remember when, we, when our boys were little, phones like devices. What are they supposed to think? I mean, adults sit for just all this time staring and gazing at, smiling, looking at, I mean, for hours, you know, neglecting kids. And then the kid picks it up, like, don't do that. Do not touch this phone. Or at least I was that way because I was like, that's a $1,200 computer. That's not a telephone. A telephone's $36 and has a cord. This is a computer. You will drop it and break it. And so we're shocked when we tell them the rule, like, don't touch that. And they're like, you sure love it. You gaze at it and smile and love it and just just drool over your phone. But, oh, but I'm not supposed to. And so we tell them the rule, but they don't understand. So now all of a sudden, guess what? There must be something good about that phone. Just like with Adam and Eve. Hey, you can have all this stuff, but that one over there? Don't go looking at that one. Don't go eating that one. Don't go touching that one. And so then all of a sudden, there must be something good. And so that's sin inside our hearts that, that, that desires that. So we see Paul's explanation. The law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. So I want you to know that it's not that the old covenant was bad. It's not that the old covenant was bad. It wasn't that God um, grew and matured and become smarter through time, like, oh man, those first three or 4,000 years, I was way off. Uh, Jesus, he was a little baby, and he started whispering to me like, hey, you're really looked at as an old miser. You need to change some things. Be more like me. Be grace-oriented. He's like, oh, great plan, Jesus. Why don't you grow up and like die for people? That wasn't how it worked. And so God didn't learn or grow or mature. It was always part of the plan. So look at these verses. I have this slide that shows how actually um, this is the New Testament interpreting the law for us. So um, look at, um, this is Galatians chapter 3. Um, so, and I gave some different ver- uh, versions just because it brings it out so interestingly. So that the law was our custodian until Christ came. Our custodian. That we might be justifi- justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a custodian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Look at the King James Version. Uh, Therefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Um, look, at, look at the, um, the uh, I think it's the, ex- the expanded Bible. In other words, the law was our guardian. And that, was, that word there is a child minder, a tutor, an attendant slave who watched over a child. And so leading us to or until Christ so that we could be made right with God, declared righteous, justified through faith. So that was what the, the, the law was doing. So we, we, you've seen this. This is a big question after our kids got to like two, three, four, five. I was, I'm reading all these books on salvation for kids, and yet I'm telling them law that could not save them. Do this. Obey your parents. Obey your parents in this. You know All these different um, verses, but then also telling them to keep rules and knowing they, they, they really might not be able to keep the rule because they don't have new life from above. They have a, a wicked, evil heart because they're not saved yet, right? So we're telling, think about that, we're, we're telling kids rules to keep when they're not Christians. 
So that so sometimes we're even then we get to the point where they get to a certain age, like seven, eight, nine, ten, and like really, um, and you know, some places like they baptize them at like four. So it's like, oh yeah, everyone's Christian, just everyone's Christian. It's like, man, they're sure not acting like it. Well, they're not a Christian, that's why. And so you're expecting them to have external behavior that does not fit with conformity to Christ. It's because they're not in Christ yet. And so we have this big dilemma. So we're actually doing this all the time. We're telling people, and, 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 and evangelicalism, we're doing this in our, you know, through our social media. We're expecting lost people to live like Jesus reigns. We're, we're, we're doing things on social media, and we're, t- we're expecting politicians and, and, and liberal things to live as if they're under Christ. That, that baffles me. It, it just flat out baffles me that we think that they're going to live like Christ. It, I, I don't know, like... I want to have more talks with Christians. You're like, is this really what you're thinking? Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Of course they do. They live this way. And so we know that you can't force a person to live by Christ's rule and reign. It's a heart change is what's going on. And so um, um, so we see that the old covenant, it, it was good. It was holy. It was not flawed, but it could not save so help people to see that. So it, it was going to be Christ that they needed. The second thing is the fading glory that was coming to an end. It was because there was surpassing greater glory in Christ. So why does Paul say the old covenant has come to have no glory at all? He even disrespects the old covenant even more. It's come to have no glory at all. Again, it seems like that might be offensive to God. But he's true. He's right. Look at Colossians 1 because what was happening, God was revealing something much greater in glory, Christ himself. He was revealing the fullness of God that was pleased to dwell in Christ. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Look at the end there. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, in verse 19. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things. So first of all, we have the person of uh, of Jesus, the person of God, who he is, in Christ, the fullness of God. But then we have the work to reconcile to himself all things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his covenant. We know what Jesus meant when he said, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So, um, the, and then the secondly, the, the second thing there, the reason that the old covenant has come to have no glory at all was Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement. In Matthew chapter 5, this is where people get confused. So you've heard Jesus say, I didn't come to abolish or take away the law. Um, I didn't come to do away with it. I come to fulfill it. So he says that in Matthew 5. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. And so that's those little bitty, tiny little squiggle marks in Greek and Hebrew. And it can change the whole definition of a word. And so this tiny little mark above a letter is not even iota. Don't don't even change one of those. Until um, not not one of those um, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that crowd, they were commoners. Scribes and Pharisees, they wore clothes and did behaviors and actions all week long. And all you did was go to the field. And then at the end of the week, maybe bring in some little dove or something to the temple. And you just knew they were holy and far above you. And Jesus just said, hey, commoner, your righteousness is going to be greater than theirs. So Jesus is saying, your righteousness must be even greater than these people that you think that you could never even get close to. So here's how we tend to read this and think about this. You better get with it. Hey, church, your righteousness, Jesus says, must be greater than that of the Pharisees. How good are your quiet times? How much time you spend? You're not praying enough? You're not reading the Bible enough? How many times have you shared your gospel, shared the gospel this week? You see what happens? We heap law onto something that was not even supposed to be law. What do we turn this into? You better work extremely hard and be extremely tight on everything. All my lists, my better lists, because Jesus said, 
Your righteousness better be greater. We've missed it. We're okay with a Jesus who saves. We're not okay with a Jesus who sanctifies in our circles. Better parenting lists. I just want my kids to be, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Uh, my kids should stop this. Wives, are you a good Christian wife? Are you doing enough? Praying for your husband the right ways every day? It's crushing, isn't it? You read that blog about that woman who gets up and practices for her marathon, runs 10 miles in the morning before 4 a.m., and then crushes the organic baby food for the kid, and then she's knitting the, 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 the kid's clothing together, and they're using, I don't even know, you know, like uh, leaf diapers because, you know, cloth come from Taiwan, and they're, they're uh, bad to the Taiwanese, and, and she's doing all that before 7 a.m. and praying all these things, and look at you. You're not attractive enough for your husband now. You're not serving enough for your family now. You better get your list together. Your righteousness better be greater than that of the Pharisees. Husbands, you get a good spiritual leader? Washing your wife with the word each, each day and each night. Washing your family with the word. You better get it together. You see what we do? That's what we tend to read. Better husband lists. Better giving lists. Better song lists. Better book lists. Do you see we turn this into, look how, look how good I can do for you, Jesus. Are you going to accept me now? Look at all I'm doing. Oh, I know I wasn't good enough in that one. If I do this and do this and do this, I found a better list. There was this one book and I found this list. And if I'll do better, will you accept me now? Will all the shame and all the guilt finally be gone? Will I be accepted if you do this? It's not what he meant at all. His thing, the righteousness that you need is me. I lived out that righteousness for you in your place. You were never going to do it. You're never going to do it. And in our theological circles, we, we, you get famous writing books about how you need to do more and more and more. And some of you may struggle heavily with that. We went through prodigal God, older brother types will struggle with that mentality. I got to do, it's never enough, never enough, never enough, never good enough to be loved. To the extent that you feel pride for keeping it all together, and keeping all your rules will be the extent that you feel shame and failure when you blow it again this week and are not able to keep the rules. And you may have spent 10 years in a church heaping that on top of you. 15 years in a church heaping that on top of you. That's not the gospel. That's not the, your righteousness. Jesus is going, hey, I was being facetious. You can't do this. You're going to need my righteousness. So what's beautiful in this, it's not what Jesus meant but man, do we have great pride in trying. The reason the Old Covenant has come to have no glory at all was because it has nothing to offer apart from Christ. It has nothing compared to Christ. Jesus was trying to get them to see, you can't do this. You cannot keep tighter, more narrow righteousness than the Pharisees. You would never be able to live out this level of righteousness. He was pointing to the reality that it had to be his righteousness that was required. So our double institution, uh, double substitution slide where we learn that, yes, Jesus does forgive. It may not pop up there. Uh, that We know that the first part is of double substitution is that he came to forgive our sins. But the second part of the substitution that we get, the imputed righteousness. We needed not only um, our sins forgiven to get us to a, a level balance, and a zero balance of sin, but that still is not the righteousness and holiness of God that you need to live in heaven. We needed the righteousness of Christ, and that's what he's wanting to do. Your righteousness needs to far exceed that of the, the, the Pharisees to live in heaven with God, to be accepted. And he was saying, you're going to need me. You need me for not only justification of sins, you need me for sanctification and glorification. You need me for the righteousness to live among a holy God for the rest of all eternity. Jesus said this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. Same thing Paul's referring to in 2 Corinthians. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll never enter. What Jesus was revealing, it was the righteousness of Christ that we need or we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, I mean, you, you really don't want to start stacking up your efforts, do you? I mean, we like to in small group or around people and let them know how theologically savvy or correct people and all these things. And here's my list. And I've got a tighter. And, oh, you, you do that? Well, here's what we do. Have you read this? Uh, we, we throw out these things. Do you really want to start piling up and stacking up your righteous deeds or your 
theology at the end of life compared to Jesus' true righteousness? So the righteousness of Christ is a sufficient standing that we need. Think of the beauty of this. It's one thing for a new reform or a new law or a new policy to be implemented and actually see change. It's one thing to have new rules and actually see change. It's completely another thing altogether to say that every bit of the change is dependent upon one person. Jesus Christ. It's completely different. If the old covenant had glory that was fading, how glorious is the one person who became the one time all sufficient sacrifice and the one life of complete holy righteousness imputed and credited to all his people? How glorious is that which surpasses the old covenant? It wasn't a list of rules that you could keep. But the next time your little heart starts desiring the new list, usually prompted from fear, uh, promising this, this thing here, this thing here, it will keep it all safe. Th this will keep it all together. Finally make you better. Finally make them better in your life. Finally get you approval and acceptance from God. That treadmill that you go to to show God and show everyone else how right you can be. Just remember, it's not about how good I do this. It's, it's his righteousness that I need. So if that helps you, get past that. Um, and the last thing, this great mystery. The Gentiles grafted into a new covenant. So now we understand what it means that the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So when we see this in um, um, this section, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face. So what was happening in Exodus 34? I think there's a, a, a section there. So what was happening, Moses would go up on the mount, and then his face would be glowing. So it wasn't like an hour. It wasn't like two hours. So his face would be glowing. When he would come down, he didn't know it at first. So if you go into Exodus and read this story, he didn't know it at first. And the people are like, oh, goodness, oh, gosh. And so then they're, they're reverent and fearful and like, oh, man. Remember, it doesn't take long. This, this people, they, they start you know, turning to idols very quickly. So Moses sees, and, and Aaron and all the people are very reverent, are very respectful, and very obedient. Now, usually we think, did this, go, did this happen in 10 minutes, 15 minutes? It may have been days. So some people, uh, there's different arguments on, was this for a while? But what, notice started, what, what Moses started to see was that once the brightness fades off his face, guess what? The people stopped staring. The people stopped listening. The people stopped gazing at his face in like reverence and like, oh man, that's a beautiful thing from God. Or like, oh, hey, it's like Tuesday. Hey, Moses' face, it's back to normal. Let's just go on our way. Let's go fishing again. Let's just go do whatever. And so do you see, so when his face was shining bright, there was a reverence and there was an awe and there was a fear and there was a holiness that they, they, they applied. But then he realized that. And so when we go back up to talk with God, as soon as he stopped talking with God, he would put a veil over his face so the people wouldn't be able to see after time when his face was losing the brightness. So he's saying here, we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze, key word there, at the outcome of what was being brought to an end because it was being brought to an end. Moses realized they're going to need something permanent. And what I'm doing is not permanent. Same word gaze when you go to 318. All of us with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, gazing, beholding, pausing, staring at Christ, we're being changed. Gazing at Christ is what brings transformation from one glory to another. If you're not gazing, what are you doing? Just working real hard. Working real hard, trying to have better less, trying to do this. No wonder you're not being changed. Do you know how many pastors I've been around who they, 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 they would quote in our meetings and different times or things that I'm around them, pastoral meetings, different things, about all the scriptures, all the books they read, all these things about their, their quiet times. And I was like, yeah, but you're just a jerk around people. People don't even like you. You have this huge blind spot that, that, that you, you, you want to exalt yourself, and it comes across very clearly. But you're adamant about your, how much time you spend in the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. And you're the most unloving guy out of 100 people. And, and many of y'all have been around that. Some of you have been underneath that where it's abusive even. And, and yet they were just, 
The word, the word, the word. And the only conference we'd go to is these theology conferences, the theology conferences, and just, just angry and harsh the whole time. But, and name the Lord. Man, that, that's not what it was supposed to lead to. Why is our theology not leading to a, to a love and a humility that, that we see in Christ? And remember, it's not Christ is loving and humble and gentle, and the Old Testament God is this miserly, angry one. No, it's, it's the same. So if you want to think that there was times when, when Old Testament God was frustrated and angry and going, wrath's coming out, that was Jesus. That was the Holy Spirit. And that was the Father. All three. Jesus is in, in on the bench. Caleb Williams just waiting to get his chance, waiting for Rattler to, to, to fail and blow it, and now he gets to take the stage because old, old God's not working out. No, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and Father, wrath on people, consequences, discipline, Old Testament. New, new covenant, graceful, Father, Spirit, Son, same God. There's not a distinction between those three. So, so let's get our thinking about the Trinity even correct on that. So notice the people would stop gazing. The people stopped looking. The brightness, they failed to remember. Paul's point is, in the same way the glory and brightness would fade from Moses' face over time, the old covenant was coming to an end. It was fading. Paul says their minds were hardened. Romans um, and, and others speak of this hardening that God has placed over the people of Israel. In God's sovereign plan, he has grafted in those of us, the Gentiles, who were not part of the Old Testament promises and blessings. We're not part of the Jewish-Hebrew lineage of Abraham. So as we look at that, this, this word hardening, this is difficult for, to, to, for us to look at. Um, look in, in Romans here, the hardening of Israel. But their minds were hardened, it says in the section we're reading in 2 Corinthians. In, in Romans 11, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. So this is, he's saying, I don't even have it all figured out. This is a mystery. This is Romans 11, 25 through 27. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. You okay with that? Does the, your category of God have a God who says there's going to be a partial hardening on Israel? I'm allowing Ezekiel, this, this hardened hearts. Partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So the church age. That's what they're arguing about in the first there, right? And so all of a sudden the gospel, the, the law, the old covenant, all those things, now that's being given to that's being given to. Gentiles, they're not part of us. They haven't been circumcised. They don't keep our ceremonial um, um, lists. They don't do all the rules that we do. They can't be saved. Yeah, they can. Faith alone and Christ alone. It's just grace. And that was hard for Old Testament Jews, right? And the Jews in the first century. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Oh, oh, so, so all of those um, Hebrew people? No, all of true Israel, not Jewish ethnicity. The true Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish the ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So this speaks of the true Israel. We are the offspring of Abraham by faith. It also speaks of the new covenant based on forgiveness of sins. Romans 9, they are the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Gentiles, none of that. None of that. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever, Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. So they're not the true Israel. Remember what I talked about early? The people who keep the lists but don't really love God? Ah, I don't want to give these sacrifices. We've got to go up to Jerusalem again and do this. We've got to do these things. This is ridiculous. They weren't in love with God. And then you've got other people who were doing those things based out of, flowing out of a love for God. 
For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. The law didn't save just by completing tasks. Not all of Israel is true Israel. So in Romans 9, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part that he would allow this hardening to happen with, with Israel, with the Jews? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So are you okay with a God who has allowed hardness to remain on the Jews? Are you okay with that? Again, not not to walk out of here and make that decision in two seconds, to spend time. In verse 27, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as many of the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. And you'll say to me, then why does God still find fault? Because who can resist what he has ordained, his will? Who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has not the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use, one for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, the, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? Those who were not my people, I will call my people. Who were not my beloved, I will call my beloved. Do we take for granted the grace of God? If you're sitting here and you're hearing the gospel week after week, depending, not, not, doesn't even matter what church you've been brought up in, what, what type of thing, that, that, do you realize that you were grafted in? That they had, they had the, the Old Testament, they had the law for, for, for 4,000 years. And because... God has put a hardening there until the the fullness of the Gentiles come in. If you look in 2 Corinthians, where where, where it goes to in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, if you look in chapter 6, the first sentence, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He's doing two things for this letter. He's showing them, first of all, you've abandoned me. You, You don't believe in my authority anymore. You forgot I'm the one who brought the gospel to you. And I'm, he's reestablishing his authority, but he's also going, you, you've taken your eyes off the gospel. You've taken your eyes off Christ. You're listening to others who have misled you. That's why in chapter 318, those who are beholding the glory of the Lord, they're being transformed. Chapter 7, he says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of our body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. So he's walking them through. If you're going to go and live like Christians, you have to have this foundation. So he's, he's going through this thing that um, people talk about where um, the, the truths are what change us and give us our new identity. Our identity in Christ, based off of our, off of our union in Christ, go and live this way then. And in our circle, sometimes we get it backwards. We think, if I live this way, will I get the righteousness I'm seeking? Will I get the acceptance and the pleasing nature of God that I'm seeking? No, it's in Christ. It's already there. In verse, in Romans chapter 11, in closing, if some of the branches were broken off, talking about the Jews, and you, although a wild olive shoot, Gentiles, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root. The root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. So, as we see here, this, this, this picture uh, of Paul trying to get the Corinthians to see, hey, you're Corinthians, your Gentiles, the main, main makeup of the church. If you are truly saved, if you've had union with Christ, if you've been adopted and brought in, you should understand the gospel. We should be moving towards being ministers of the gospel, which he talks about in chapter 4 and chapter 5, because of the grace that's been given us for our sake, 
Um, he's made him who had no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We're ministers of the new covenant. That's what you should be doing. That's what you should be living in. And you forgot all of that, Corinthian church. So for us, have we forgotten? Have we stopped beholding? Have we forgotten some of the essentials of the faith, what really matter? The three things today, that the fading glory of the old covenant, it was never going to be able to save. So what are you resting in? What are you trusting in? Is it your ability? Is it spiritual knowledge? Or is it Christ alone? The fading glory that was coming to an end for a surpassing greater glory in Christ. Are you treasuring Christ? Or to be honest, 20 months of COVID problems and Christianity is just kind of many other distractions. Many other distractions. Many people have learned, you know, I, I think that we can do fine just without church anymore. We've all seen that. And then third, a great mystery. Gentiles grafted into the new covenant. Are you presuming upon the grace of God in any way? Are you presuming upon the grace of God? Next week we will look at um, that, that last section there when Paul brings it together and focuses on beholding Christ, the glory of the Lord. Um, that that's how we're transformed. That's how we're changed. That's what he's building to, not a list of things that we can do. So I want to take the time to walk us through God's view of it being grafted in, of what it looks like for us to not be a part of, of those who received all the law and received all the prophets and received all um, the lineage that, that the children of Israel, but yet we receive something greater. How much more humbled should we be? And are we treasuring Christ in that? So let me pray, and then we'll move to the Lord's Supper.